Hello, everybody, and welcome out to the first ever fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I'm your co-host, Mike Laidman, and I am joined with none other than... Laura Laidman. Each and every week, we take a movie from our past, and we have a look back and see if it's just nostalgia keeping our high praise of classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the abulation. How are you doing, hon? I am doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I can't believe that we're doing a podcast together again. I know. And you know the crazy thing? That it was your idea? That it was my idea. Yeah, no kidding. Because for the longest time after our previous podcasting venture just... Maybe it's the isolation. I want to talk to somebody again. You... But we live together. You've been talking to me all this time. <laughs> yeah, but now you're like pretend different person. You're a... now my co-host, not my husband. Oh, I see. Yes. I see. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, this is the first time that we've had a, a our own podcast where we've been married. This isn't the first time we've been on a podcast together married, mm-hmm. but the first time we've done our own podcast. Yeah. And, you know. Married. Married. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought it would be fun to look back at movies that we have enjoyed in the past and see if they're still good. We've been having quarantine date nights to set the scene. Yes. We've been having quarantine date nights at home in quarantine where we eat junk food, often pizza after our child because we're parents now too. Yeah. Our child has gone to bed. We break out the unhealthy food the sodas, the beers, and we watch a silly movie from our youth. And we've burned through things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we watched Tremors, and we were getting to thinking, man, this is a nice way to kind of go through movies that we miss from our childhood. And some of them haven't been great. (laughs) And some of them have been amazing and hold up really well. And it kind of led to the idea of burnt popcorn are these movies good and fresh and fun still or they are a little burnt yeah so that's kind of where the name comes from it also comes into the rating system that we're going to put into play a little bit later in the show so the our rating system is as follows burnt popcorn it's crap didn't hold up terrible movie Maybe it just aged really poorly. Plain popcorn. It's okay. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And then extra butter, which means that this still rules. It's a great movie. You should watch it if you've never watched it. You should watch it again if you haven't seen it in a while and you have seen it before. And, you know, extra butter is delicious. That's why we didn't just do butter. Extra butter. Extra butter. So, for our first movie. Well, hold on, hold on. Oh. There's some other information that we need to, to bust out in here to make sure that everyone's scene is properly set. We're not just going to be a bad movie review podcast. Because these are good movies. These are good movies. Or are they? We have a criteria to make sure that we're not just scraping 80 schlock with like you know, out of the bargain bin basement, straight to DVD stuff. We have two main criteria and the, every movie we do has to hit one or both of the criteria to be reviewed on burnt popcorn. And that is, it either had to be 
critically acclaimed or it had to be a box office success. And not just, oh, well, it made its money back, so it's success. These are like movies that were number one at the box office. And the only exceptions to that rule can be movies that came out and didn't hit number one, but were number two when something like Titanic was out. Because that movie was number one for like two years. So number two gets a pass. Yeah. It's but extenuating it has circumstances. to be considered top of the box office. Not something that just made its money back. Because a lot of crap makes its money back. These have to be box office smashes. Or critically acclaimed. Exactly. We have a high bar to set. Do the movies hold up? Let's find out. Yes. So this week... We decided to dive in and by talking about The Mummy. And this is The Mummy that was released in 1999. There is an ancient legend of a place known as the City of the Dead. I call it the doorway to hell. Where the earliest pharaohs were said to have hidden the wealth of Egypt. Are we going into battle? There's something out there. Something underneath that sand. What they did. Oh my God, it does exist. I think this may be the Book of the Dead. Was unleash a force unlike any the world has ever known. You must not read from the book! Go! The Mummy. Can I set the scene now? Please. It is May 1999. SpongeBob SquarePants premieres for the first time on Nickelodeon. We are a week and a half away from Backstreet Boys releasing Millennium. After 22 years of restoration work, Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper is finally put back on display. And Susan Lucci finally won a Daytime Emmy Award for All My Children after going 19 years of being nominated without a single win. Wow, that's a a lot more information than I was expecting. But in terms of movies, Mm. May of night, well, the spring of 1999 was amazing. First up, The Matrix came out. And was riding high at the top of the box office. It was toppled for one week by entrapment with Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones. But our movie of the week, The Mummy, didn't stay that number one spot after toppling entrapment for very long. Because guess what came out right hot in its heels? Oh, you're actually waiting for me to guess? Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I have no idea. Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. That would do it. That would do it. Which, Star Wars, was the number one film of the year with a domestic gross of $430 million. Number two, Sixth Sense. Oh. And our movie of this week, The Mummy, was number eight with a gross of $155 million, making it a box office smash. This is domestic, not not international. Just a heads up. Okay. On to The Mummy. Written by and directed by 
Stephen Summers, starring Brendan Fraser, Rachel Wise, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo, Jonathan Hyde, and Kevin J. O'Connor. Well, there you go. I feel like the scene has been properly set. One hopes. Did you did you see this in theaters? I did, actually. Um, 1999 would have been leading into my graduation from grade eight. So it was an exciting time in my household. And let's see, I'm pretty sure my family took the whole family and my sister would have been probably way too young for this movie. But my parents never really cared about that because she would have been six and I would have been hmm, six, uh, 14. Yes, 14 when I graduated grade eight. That makes sense, right? That math works. I think so. And I remember loving it. I remember we were, my whole family loved it, mm-hmm. went as a family, and we actually saw quite a few movies as a family. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was when the newer theater was pretty new, was it not? You like mean the, the Silver City? Yeah, that was the new It was the theater. new hotness. Yeah, there was a big new theater not too, too far from where we lived. And my parents took us to see movies there all the time. And that was one of them. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. My whole family loved it. And we were there opening weekend when the sequel came out because we all loved the movie so much. I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it at the the Upper James Theater mm. that's been gone for a long time because it was right by my house. Yeah, the Rinky Dink Theater. Yeah. And I went there with my parents and their friend Bev, who's like a weird aunt figure in my family she's not like my aunt but she might as well be because anyway anyway this was also back in a time where i I did a lot of family movies i would have been in grade nine so i would not have had any friends because i did not have any friends in grade nine (laughs) oh but yeah no i remember the family really liked it i remember we rented it on vhs and watched it again when it came back out we bought it on vhs fancy my my mom was a big fan. It must have been Brendan Fraser. Must have been Brendan yeah. Fraser. The one thing that I always associate though with the Mummy is the theme park ride that used to be at Universal Studios. Oh, I never went to Universal Studios. Oh, I went on. I went no, on I the went, Mummy ride. I went on. I went to Universal one of them, but not the other one. Oh, because there was the islands and then the regular. Yeah, and I don't remember which one I went to. Did you go to Jurassic Park? I don't remember. Well, okay. Did you see the Marvel people? I don't remember. This is not helpful. I don't remember. The Islands one (laughs) had Marvel and it had Jurassic Park and the other one didn't. So that's that's all I can tell you. It was a long time ago. It was more than half my life ago. Did you see the Twister ride? Did you do the Twister ride? That's a movie we should do as Twister. We should. And we should also do like half the movies that you listed in your your speech. I don't know if we'll do Entrapment, maybe if we run it later. <laughs> I remember Entrapment. So do I. Specifically for Catherine Zeta-Jones' butt. Especially her butt. Yeah. Yeah. Like that might have been the entire reason I saw that movie. That might have been the entire reason most people saw that movie. <laughs> so anyway, back to yes. The Mummy. Okay. So The Mummy. But I want to make this point about The Mummy okay. Ride because it's funny and it, it makes sense. So- after the Mummy movie came out, they made a Mummy roller coaster at Universal Studios. And it was one of those indoor coasters. So it's all like in the dark and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they had they had video 
playing on monitors and stuff that was supposed to be like it happened in front of you. Like it, it would be 3D video and things like that. And they actually did this whole thing where it was like, oh, it's the set of the movie. So they did behind the scenes videos with like Brendan Fraser and, and Rachel Weiss and stuff. And they'd be like, they keep saying there's an actual curse here, but I don't think there is. And and then you you go on a tour and the tour is, oh, no, the curse is actually real. And then you get attacked by the mummy. Well, the thing is, when I went and saw it, it broke. It broke while we were on the ride. And all the lights got turned on. Like, because it's a roller coaster. Part of the video package that plays is there's this kid that runs around in like a red baseball cap and he keeps talking to Brendan Fraser and he's like, I love working on the movie. And they're like, that's Jimmy. Jimmy's the best. Well, at the beginning, as you go around the first turn, a sarcophagus opens up and there's a skeleton of Jimmy. And Jimmy's like, watch out, the curse is real. And then you're supposed to go off and go down the roller coaster. Well, my ride broke and we stopped at Jimmy's coffin and he was just stuck there. And the lights all came on and like people who work there came slowly walking through and Jimmy's like sticking out, like not scary at all. And then when the actual ride got fixed and they started running, all of the audio that was synced up with the ride had already run. So all of the the video with stuff was happening, but no audio was playing. So like the big mummy's monster face would come out and he'd be like, oh, but it'd be there'd be no sound. It'd just be like. No one can see you do that. I know, but I feel like people could figure out what I was doing if I went oh first and then it was like, but it was like this. They can assume. You know, it's hilarious. But now that you describe that, I'm pretty sure I have been on that ride. Yeah, I think so. It was okay. a long time ago. It I, was last a long time, time I was ago. down in Florida was uh, the year 2002. I feel like that ride is now a Fast and Furious ride. I love the Fast and Furious. Well, anyway, it's 20 years of Fast and Furious one. We can maybe do it on this show, too. Well, OK. So for people who haven't seen The Mummy. Yes. Which get on it. But whoever seen the movie, it is kind of a more modern retelling of the universal movie monsters because it is universal pictures movie yeah it is a retelling of the the mummy from back in the 30s and the movie itself is set in the 1930s which is something i always thought was pretty cool Mm -hmm. but and even even when i was younger i was like i like it i don't know it added almost like a an extra element of fun to it because the things that the weapons and technology and everything else that are heroes and heroines hands was you couldn't just nuke the mummy right which i mean that's what tom cruise probably should have done yeah but we're not talking about that mummy. No, we're not talking about that mummy no that would just go on one of those bad movie podcasts one of the things about the movie if you don't mind me getting started oh yeah that i found was very interesting compared to a lot of movies that come out now, especially now, is this movie has so much setup. One of the first things I really noticed was that there is about 13 minutes of setup in ancient Egypt, which I feel like is way more than we would get in a modern movie. Mm-hmm. It feels like they'd give it two minutes tops and be like come on action 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 and there is action in that start there it's not 
super like you know fast and furious action but there is like sort of a fight scene-esque and there is some necromancy and stuff happens but it is all set up and then we move on to another setup scene of what brendan fraser is doing and his setup originally which is before the actual plot of the movie as well and then we go to another setup scene which is rachel wise setting up how she and her brother are going to get involved in all this and then there's more setup where rachel wise evelyn evie meets brendan fraser why can't i remember brendan fraser it's she's just brendan fraser oh no 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 o'connor o'connor yeah 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 so when she or, no it's o'connell 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 i think you're right yeah so there's just setup after setup after setup and the crazy thing is in this movie there is no real mummy action until halfway into the mummy right the movie is two hours long not including credits and the first time you start to go oh crap there's a mummy is about an hour and three minutes into the film. And I feel like now that's not something we would see in a lot of these action movies. Fast and Furious, for example, you're not going to wait an hour and three minutes in to see some cars chasing. No. But but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like some of the greatest movies hold off on that stuff until halfway through. Look at Jaws and look at... One of my personal favorites, The Descent, you don't actually see that stuff until halfway through the movie to kind of build up the story, build up the tension, build up the plot. And that is something this movie does, I thought, well, but in a fun way. Yeah, definitely. Anyway. We took notes. We did take notes. Of course we took notes. Yes, because I mean, how how do you accurately look back at things that happened in the movie and, yeah. and, and give your opinion on them? The first thing I wrote down. Very important. Two guns. Not a very accurate way to shoot guns. Oh, my God. The double guns. That was such a 90s trope, I find. Maybe even 80s as well. But everyone in this film double gunned. It was just pew, pew, pew. Like double guns all over the place. Arms crossing double guns where you did the split arms where you're like shooting one direction and shooting the other direction at the same time. Shooting ahead of you. Shooting to the side. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Gun, gun, gun. It was crazy and it's you're right it's not accurate it's not really something you see in movies now like who who runs at a bad guy or what bad guy runs at a good guy doing the double gun run and everyone in this movie does it i feel like i haven't seen i think shoot him up was maybe the last movie that i can think of that yeah. was was like double guns double guns double guns no one does it anymore and you're right it, that's one thing that even though because one of the big benefits for a movie being set in the past is it doesn't get as dated as easily as a movie if it had set itself in 1999. Because if it was set in 1999, could you imagine they'd be like, oh, no, this mummy is going to bring about Y2K and it'd be super dated. Or like the, they pull out their flip phones. Yeah, they pull out the flip phones. They don't have any signal, like that kind of stuff. So that doesn't happen. But the double guns, I find, was something immediately I noticed. And immediately dates the film to that 90s vibe. So, want to know what my first note was? What's that? Man, Brendan Fraser used to be so hot. (laughs) (laughs) He was like peak late 90s, early 2000s 
hot guy for the discerning adult woman. Was he on your list? No, he was never on my list. But remember, in 1999, I was 14. I was all about Leonardo DiCaprio in 1999. Right. Brendan Fraser was a little more for like my mom. And my mom loved Brendan Fraser. I feel like my mom is all about Brendan Fraser. Yeah. And, but now, as an adult woman myself, I appreciate 90s Brendan Fraser a lot more. On the flip side, to your Brendan Fraser point, Rachel Wise. I was never like, I don't know what it was. I did, it's not that I'm like, she's not attractive, but it was not like Brendan Fraser attractive, you know? But this movie like launched her career. Like, and she's had a very stable, steady, long career in Hollywood, which is great. She's married to Daniel Craig. Right. And like, she, like, she's fantastic. I, I always thought she was beautiful. But like, the thing with the mummy is they actually did a really good job of, making her look like a woman in the mid 1930s like that was um one of the things that really stands out because it's funny at that time one of the similar styles in the late 90s mid to late 90s was for women to pluck their eyebrows to the thinnest of thin thin lines and the 30s was the same so she she very much has that 30s look and by today's standards, it isn't how a young woman of her beauty would present themselves, mm-hmm. if that's the best way I could maybe like put that. So she she does look like a woman of her time, which I thought was well done because it's not so over the top well done. It looks like like the makeup and style that they chose is representative of a woman of her class and stature and job despite the fact i don't know how many jo- women would actually be egyptologists in the 1930s well what i would say something about that was that there was just like i don't know if it's because i'm old now and like movie magic is something that i'm just like meh about but like in any other situation than in a movie, if someone had screwed up that badly at their job where they've basically destroyed all the manuscripts, that latter bit. I mean, obviously, yes. it's, it's a scene in a movie that's there for laughs and, you know, it's a funny introduction to the character. But, like, no one doesn't get fired for that. Well, you did hear the reason why she even had the job in the first place. Yeah, because right? she had like a her dad was involved, her, parents her parents were the major benefactors to the museum where she was working, and therefore the only reason she has the job in the first place was because her you know daddy was like, just give my kids a job, get them out of my house. I feel like you would be justified as that museum curator at being mm, like, five, was, I don't care. It she- was the 1930s. And now imagine, imagine if you're Jeff Bezos's kid and you fucked up at work or imagine if Jeff Bezos's kid worked with you and he knocked over a ton of shelves. Does he even have kids? Ta- no, knocked over a ton of shit, like shit and like wrecked a bunch of stuff. I guess we are not keeping this PG. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Um, would you be the person who'd be wanting to fire Jeff Bezos's kid? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's somewhat different, 
Because we don't they're, know how rich benef- your parents are. I yeah, I guess. I well, guess. I'm just putting this into con. Like it makes sense in the movie. Like I am counterpoint makes sense in the movie. Okay. But there are a lot of things that, especially for a '90s movie, are things that. And one of the things we do want to examine in this podcast are things where you watch them 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and that, oh, that joke is fine, that you watch now and you go, ooh, mm-hmm. ooh, no, that that makes me feel really uncomfortable. That's not that's not cool. And like I understand it's a product of its time, right? but it doesn't fly. That said, I don't think this movie was a big offender for that. The only thing that I could think of, because there was no real like, you know, a woman's place is in the kitchen. Like well, there was, yeah. there was stuff where it's like, "What do you know? You're a woman. You shouldn't know anything about Egyptology." And then she's like, "Bam! I'm the hotness," you know. But nobody was just being like, "No, you can't do this. You're a woman." And not just that, but like a lot of the stuff that you know would have been like, "Oh, the you know the." The lady, it was stuff that would have happened in the 30s. So at least that is accurate. But there are, of course, some things that came up through the film that even set in a time beforehand, we probably wouldn't see in a movie today Mm -hmm. for different reasons. One of the things that I noticed is when they're riding the camels. I know exactly what you're talking about. I wrote this down too. They're whipping the camels to make them go faster. And it's funny and it's cute and blah, blah, blah. You would never see that in a movie today. Okay, then this is not the thing that I wrote down. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so that, but like just for an example, that's one thing that I feel in a movie now, yes, you could be riding the camels, but you would never see your protagonist, you're innocent and fun and cute, but like smart and sassy, you know, protagonist woman whipping a camel to make it go faster in the desert. She instead would you know, be speaking her encouragements in like a loving way, because even though like it wouldn't just be PETA, it would be people watching it, writing in being like she was whipping the camels and stuff. So and they'd be on Twitter and it'd be like, oh, Rachel Wise's canceled party. And so that wouldn't happen today in a movie. So, again, not something that is like she was calling the the camels slurs, which would be. But you would never see, no matter how gently, an actor whipping an animal in a movie now. Anyway, what were you going to say? What, what I was going to say is there's a scene where they get on the camels and the brother is going on the speech about how like camels are filthy, disgusting animals. Mm. And he's like, they spit and they smell and there's no other animal on earth that would be like that. And then it cuts to the Arab guy who's with him and he spits and they're like, oh, well, I stand corrected kind of a thing. And I mean, I suppose you could take that as it's, you know, just that guy. That guy's a smelly, spitty guy. But it it kind of had Mm -hmm. a tone of Arabs to me. And there are a few other nods like that through the movie that i caught as well so it's no one ever directly uses a slur right against a character so at least it had that going for it but there are those moments of some of the arab characters are presented in that 
comedic yet insulting light. Like they are referenced as like there's a few jokes about being smelly or dumb, dumb, dumb thieves. Yep. The where he's stealing the the jewels that you know gets his comeuppance. But again, it's the portrayal of because you've got the Magi characters who yeah. are like heroes of the movie who are obviously Arabic, Egyptian, and uh, they still are kind of playing a stereotype. It's a positive stereotype being the, like a hero of the film, but it's still a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that one might still make it into the movie today because Hollywood still kind of has this thing where it's like, well, we're doing it positively. So it's okay. Um, but I feel like they might ha- would be we're getting towards the point where they would have make sure it was done in a way that was accurate to possibly real culture rather than just kind of like this idea that very much read as like, oh, they're the magi, they protect the mummies and blah blah blah. So it, it does border on possibly something you wouldn't see today, but that one you probably would. The the overall jokes at the expense at especially the warden character i think would be more clear that it was strictly him and not other egyptian or arabic people yeah because i i do feel you're i agree like i saw there was a few times where it's like are they saying it's all people of Middle Eastern background or just this guy. And it's very, it walks a line between the two. So again, they never fully come out and say anything specifically, but I feel like today they might get a lot more shit for that. Whereas 20 years ago, nobody, nobody cared. Right. The other thing I wrote about the camel scenes is this is just a weird thought that I had, but I wrote it down at the time very recently. I saw a camel skull on Twitter and camel skulls are terrifying. Really? <laughs> yes. Interesting. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, I've, I think I've told you about this before. They call it shrink wrapping. And it's basically if, if you take the skull of an animal without taking into consideration, you know, fat and muscle and stuff like that. Camels as well as hippos look like, reptilian monsters mm-hmm. when when you just look at their skulls but meanwhile when it's they have all the the fur and the muscle and and everything like that then you know it's a lovable hippo and camel and stuff hippos are not lovable uh, you know what i mean but i love them but they're not lovable i know it you I, a hippo looks cute it's still gonna maul you and stab you but you know deadliest animal in africa yeah, so. that would have been cool to see in this movie because that's they there is a scene and I feel like that's we would have probably got and it's been so long since I've seen the sequel. Now I kind of want to watch the sequel, but I feel like that stuff we would have probably gotten more out of like a modern movie. Speaking of hippos and stuff is in the scene where the boat sinks. Right. And they all have to get out of the water. and. They, uh, it is a, I, cause it's been so long since I've seen it. I was in my head expecting that like someone has a close call with, you know, a Nile crocodile or a hippo or no, not even a little bit. And these are real dangers in like the Nile, especially, you know, in the thirties where, you know, you're not, 
the population's weren't what they are today they're much they were much higher so it would have been interesting but i mean budgets are only so so big and to cg a hippo or a croc in there taking someone down could have taken money away from the uh let's say stellar special effects that <laughs> seemed so much better in 1999 <laughs> I feel like what you're talking about in its absence was more of a, a like a beats thing, like an action yes. beats where you need to yes. have you need to have some downtime kind of a thing. Because like the the them being in the water scene happens after a big action scene on the boat. Mm -hmm. So rather than have them jump from one action sequence into a second action sequence, it might have been this is your downtime moment. Although. That beginning of that action sequence, I wrote something down mm -hmm. because Brendan Fraser is having a conversation. This is more of a logistical, like, wait, this doesn't make sense to me. Brendan Fraser is having a conversation with Rachel Weiss, and then she leaves, and then he starts talking to the wormy guy. And while they're they're talking, there's a sequence in the, their conversation where they look over and they show that Rachel Weiss is just standing like like five, 10 feet away. She's not far. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, after the wormy guy gets away, Rachel Wise, they show her walk away. And then Brendan Fraser looks down at the deck and there's wet footprints everywhere, meaning that the Medjai have snuck onto the boat. But my thought is he's looking exactly where she was. She's looking exactly where they were. And the Medjai snuck between them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that—that—that's—that's that's more of a plot hole that could have occurred <laughs> yeah, at any time. But now, I speaking of some of the the plot holes and being on the river, I've personally never been to Egypt. Um, I don't believe you have as well. But one of the things they show several times is that right beside the pyramids is the river. I don't believe that river is there. I believe it's a little farther away. Which I feel like now would be a little more accurate because in 1999, like I... I don't know about you. I mean, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I did not have the internet at home in 1999. I got the internet in 2001. Mm -hmm. And I I wouldn't have known. So watching it then, no idea. Watching it now, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Let me do a quick Google. And like looking at Google, like I can see like there's the the Nile is not far but it is not the stones throw away from the pyramids as it appears in the movie. So again, perhaps I'm wrong. In 1934, the river was there and has evaporated to the point where it's much further away now, which I doubt, but that's neither here nor there. So again, I feel like that's something they would have strived for a bit more accuracy in a big budget movie now. But back to the, the hippos, or my idea of the hippos and stuff, I feel like, especially for today's action movies, when you're basing them on things like the the popular movies which are fast and furious right. marvel movies it is action 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 we are going from a fight scene to driving cars through the top of buildings into fighting a giant submarine 
fighting like this this and it's just nonstop 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 whereas this movie does have these long extended beats of setup of comedy of just explanation of what's going on um and that that setup now i don't think you'd see as much in a movie that is supposed to be an action adventure movie it would be more focused on the action part and not the adventure part whereas this movie is more adventure than action right fair yeah i'd say that's fair okay especially with like what you were talking about with the the hour build up before mm-hmm. like even the mummy shows up kind of a thing yeah but yeah that scene at the beginning of the movie where um emotep and anox in the moon are separated and like she's killed and he's killed and everything it i feel like today it would be would have been this huge sword fight between the the priests and there would have been like action and like spinning double swords and it would have been like this crazy scene and instead it was more of an assassination of caesar like shadowed like stab 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 and I don't think that's what would we'd see in this movie today if it were made today. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, you, you sort of made a point about it. So I figured, why not? Let's jump into it. The special effects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was one I felt like we were going to spend some time on. I remember watching this movie and just being blown away by the effects yeah and there are some things that hold up a bit some of the stuff with the mummy and like obviously for his makeup and like what they would have had to do with makeup and green screen is really well done yeah those those moments are like when he's kind of like half decayed and the makeup job anything that's practical is really good like the practical makeup the practical effects are great the computer effects are like 1998 at best. And even then this is after Jurassic Park, like anything after Jurassic Park is kind of like, you should know better. Like, come on. There's some stuff in it that this looks good, yes. but then there's some, but that's CG. I mean, but there's some stuff that it looks so bad considering what it is. It's like when the mummy is just the mummy. And he's like skeleton half of his body there and walking around. That looks not too bad. Like it, I'm like even in old 1999 graphics, it looks pretty good. But like the face in the sand. Yeah, no. Or, or that was when, so like scary when I was like 14. And yeah, now I'm like, oh, come on. The face in the sand, the face in the dust storm, oh. the whenever all of it, it's all faces. It's all faces. Whenever his when he was like back to being normal and his mouth would stretch really long, that just looked like stupid. Yeah. Anything that was like a practical effect or like CG was used to enhance a practical effect. Yeah. That's really well done. But anything that where they relied on solely CG, like when the two soldiers came out of the wall, like the stone. Do you remember that moment? There's, there's two soldiers where you see them in like, Oh, the mummy soldiers. Yes. Yes. And they come out of the wall that was the scene where I was like, oh, my God, no, <laughs> because it really looked like something out of like a PS1 game. It okay. was very clunky and or like uh, you'd see on reboot. OK, 
Yeah. And it could have very easily been done with a practical effect to a much better effect. And the best CG effects are really ones that are used to enhance practical. Like, especially then. But so there, there is a lot in this movie where the, the practical effects are great. Yeah, like the mummy soldiers at the end that are clearly just dudes in suits. Yeah. Are fantastic. Yeah, they look great. And like any like little bits you can add, like use some CG to kind of like clean up some stuff, clean up the wires. Or like if they get their arm cut off or something. Yeah, but there there is some stuff where you're just like, what, what are you doing? When they had beetles under them. Yeah, like when like a I remember being so stomach and freaked stuff. out by that as a kid. It looked and like a Photoshop filter. It did it look like what you do on snapchat <laughs> and i was just like oh that's a little sad but again yeah there were some things where it just really that really dates the movie the style of the effects that they were using when it was pure cg that was one of the biggest dating things of the movie do you want to know what else really dated it what and maybe as a kid i thought was going to be a much bigger issue in the world than it has turned out to be as an adult drunken pilots quicksand (laughs) (laughs) that was the thing that scared you so much i remember no it didn't scare me i just when you're a kid Uh so many adventure books are like oh no quicksand save me from the quicksand i remember in gem and the holograms they'd be saved from the quicksand you know and this movie has quicksand and i remember being like Man, quicksand is a. If I when I travel when I when I travel when I'm an adult because as a kid I thought I would travel and I do not. I like my house. Quarantine has been great, but no. When when I was a kid, the, everything you know, adventure had quicksand, and now as an adult, I'm like, that's not a thing anybody has to worry about. But it really because again, when was the last time you saw quicksand as a problem in a movie? Indiana Jones 4 was the last time I saw I blocked that movie from my memory. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just not a problem protagonist experience anymore. We should bring it back. Quicksand? Quicksand. We're going to make a new movie, put some quicksand in it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, nobody has quicksand anymore. It's true. Some stuff that I just had written down that I wanted to bring up, because I feel like we've talked mostly about what we liked, what we didn't like. Mm-hmm. A few things I wrote down I wanted to highlight. When the mummy is stealing people's body parts. That was a little freaky. The first thing he does is he takes the eyes of the guy who needs glasses. Yeah, that was a bad call. Shouldn't he have needed glasses? Yeah. Well, he, he sucks dry a few other people. And the, the other thing, I don't know about you, because we both wear glasses and we both have vision problems, but different vision problems. The representation that they did of the guy with glasses not being able to see without those glasses that did not look like a strong prescription, especially in the 1930s. If that guy was that blind in the 1930s, those glasses he was wearing were not going to be helping him. If his vision was that bad, those glasses would have been so thick, they would have been Coke bottles. But they're just thin little flimsy glasses. So this guy's eyes were not that bad. Because glasses technology was not what it was, what it is now back then. So when he loses his glasses, he is legally blind. Like he's not just impaired, like visually impaired. He is visually like he's blind. Yeah. 
And I don't know about you, but when I take my glasses off, I can still get around. And my vision's pretty bad. Like, we both have different kinds of bad nearsightedness. And you are getting towards the point where you need bifocals because you're old. Shut up. <laughs> but don't remind me. But, like, when he loses his glass, again, it felt like something that is not. And maybe it's because there is more of an awareness of disabilities now which is a good thing but i don't think his visual impairment would have been portrayed the same now because he they just went like went for broke on the visual impairment on that guy because he was blind without his glasses and if i had lost my glasses in that situation i still would have been able to be like that's a bad person i'm going over here right and he didn't like and like if i take my glasses off right now I I can't make out your facial features, but I can still tell you are a human being. And I'm, we're only like five feet away. I am going to eat your eyes and make myself stronger with them. Just so you you know. don't want my eyes. They're not good. Well, I think Again, the mummy you're has right. proven. The mummy picked some bad eyes picked, to start with. You picked bad eyes. Apparently, it doesn't help. It doesn't matter. If you pick bad eyes or not, you you regenerate he good is, eyes. He is magic. That's true. I mean, the fact that he's regenerating eyes is... It's pretty, pretty spectacular. Impressive. Yeah. I also wrote down the scene where Brendan Fraser walks into a room and whips a chair at somebody was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that was amazing. It was just like, poof. Just whipped the chair. And Benny. Benny was the Weasley guy. Yes, I liked Benny. Benny was like Weasley, but likable, mm-hmm. you know, which is why I felt that his death was mean spirited. I agree. And I, I really feel like in, again, this isn't even a like today's movies, but I feel like today for sure he'd be back in a sequel. Yeah. The writers would be on Twitter and seeing, I'm sure people, because like, I thought Benny was a really enjoyable character. I didn't like Benny as a person, but I enjoyed the character, if that makes sense. Yeah. Benny was not a good person. Benny was an enjoyable character to watch. And I feel like other people probably feel the same way since you and i seem to both feel the same way so now you'd go on twitter or reddit or whatever and people would be like oh benny so you'd be like all right we'll find for the sequel right and i i swore i told you when we were watching it i was like well no benny benny's in the sequel isn't he he's not he's not in any of the sequels and i fully believed that just from my experience watching movies it just made sense that he was going to be in the sequels and he wasn't yeah and you're right his death was very mean-spirited it was because i feel like in most movies when the bad guy gets his come up and it's just like it's one thing and so many different things happened to benny yeah he gets trapped and then when he like he realizes he's trapped he's chased by like the the scarabs that are going to kill him and then his torch slowly dies and then he is killed. And yeah, it has, and not just that, because like Benny's greatest flaw is at the start of the movie is that he abandons. He's a coward. He's a coward. That's he, his flaw. Yeah. He abandons his, you know, platoon or whatever of soldiers against a huge army, which I mean, I know Brennan Fraser got out of it alive, but like a fair, they were very outnumbered. At the start. Yeah. And then he takes a job working for the Americans. And then, which again, 
fair. He's working and doing a job. That's not a bad thing. He's not talking about like he never once does something where he's like, hey, you know, O'Connell, I'm, I'm working towards trapping these guys and blah, blah, blah. It's all a huge trick, blah, blah, blah. No, like he's legitimately working. And then he is forced to work for the mummy, which you can tell he doesn't want to do. But his other option, again, because he's a coward, to go against the mummy would mean dying. And he's cowardly. And I don't feel like he's enough of a coward to earn the punishment that he is given. Yeah, like he doesn't kill anyone. He he, he doesn't do anything cruel to anybody. Yeah, like he he helps the mummy because he really doesn't have a choice. And who among us would be like, no, no, Mr. Mummy, you suck me dry, which might also curse me in some way. Who knows? We've seen some weird shit going on because my morals are too. No, I'm pretty sure most of us would be like, all right, I guess this is what I'm doing now. I mean, look at us now. I can like, wait. That's way deeper than we need to get into, but I'm pretty sure most people would do the same given that scenario. Yeah, if a, if a monster is standing there and it's like, help me kidnap that girl or I'll completely consume every fiber of your being. Yeah. It's like, okay. I'd probably be like, I don't know you, so I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm, I don't want every fiber of my soul consumed. Yeah, and it's, again, like, it's not even like, I'm going to shoot her or I'm going to shoot you. It is. I'm going to kidnap her for mostly unknown reasons. And your alternative to that is being like desiccated. Right. You will be desiccated. It's like, I would like to not be desiccated and possibly have my soul cursed for millions of years. I'll help you out with that one. Yeah. Well, that's what we thought of the movie. Critics in 1999 had their own thoughts on this movie. So why don't you... Let us know, because you did a lot of research on this. I did, and it was fun. So currently, this movie holds a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes for critics. So That's actually lower than I thought it would be. Same, but when I actually look at it objectively, it makes sense, because it is an enjoyable movie, but it definitely has flaws. It's not written to be, you know, some sort of critical darling this is a movie that's meant to appeal to a wider audience and just be a fun mental escape for two hours which i personally think it achieved because the score from audiences is 75 percent. most yeah. people do like it i that puts it at a fresh barely like it is fresh yeah so a couple positive reviews one which was really surprising to me of who it was by so one review I found from, and these are the reviews for when this came out from critics. There is hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting, or even the mummy, but I can say that I was not bored and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. Three out of four stars, Roger Ebert. I had a feeling it was going to be Ebert or... Ebert really liked it. And I feel like his review really kind of, I think, summed up how I feel about it. It's it's not a great movie by any means. Super fun, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, another positive one I found from, again, these are, these are from 1999. So, Almer Haffeldson uh, from the BBC says, It's all done with plenty of action set pieces, some decidedly creepy thrills, and a hearty slice of cheesy humor that often hits the mark. 
due to the energy and timing of the cast. Now, of course, yep. 40% of critics, not a fan, and even the ones that are, point out its foibles. So Stephen Holden of the New York Times says, This version of The Mummy has no pretenses to be anything other than a gaudy comic video game splashed on the screen. Think Raiders of the Lost Ark with cartoon characters, no coherent storyline, and lavish but cheesy special effects. Not a fan. Apparently not. No. Yeah. Not big on it. Now, and then Kenneth Turan of the LA Times puts, Both Wise and the always agreeable Frasier are capable and attractive performers, but the film drags its uninspiring action out too long for anyone's good, even for anyone who's not 14. I didn't feel like it was dragged out. I was 14. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought that's that one really grabbed my attention because I was 14 when it came out and I loved it. Yeah. But what I said, like he's saying the action was dragged out. And again, for a movie today, for an action movie, it did not have nearly as much action as an action movie you'd find today. Action movies today are just go, 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 go. And like, I make you watch all the Fast and Furious movies and Hobbs and Shaw and anything with Jason Statham in it, really. And it's way more action than this action movie. So, and mindless. Yeah, this one has a lot more plot and it takes its time to explain the plot a lot, but I never got bored of it. But this guy says it was the action was dragged out, which. Again, I I wonder, I really, what I should have done is looked at some of his more recent reviews and see what he thinks of some action movies, if he thinks the action is too much still, or if he's like agreeable with it. I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, with that, I feel like we're going to get to our reviews. And I, th- I think we're on the same page with this one. So I feel like we can, we can both say that this is extra butter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is double butter, extra butter. It is a fun movie. It really was a great Saturday night. Put the kids to bed, grab a snack, grab some pizza, grab a beer, and just enjoy two hours of mindless fun. Like It is perfect for that. I had a smile on my face the whole time, even when I was trying to be critical of some things. Yeah, some of the effects aren't great. Yeah, there's some stuff you're not going to see today in movies, but it never crosses a line into offensive. It's an agreeable movie that really, like I said, my parents brought my sister to see it when she was like six years old. And I I don't think I'd probably have an issue with our kid watching this when he's six years old. Like it was, it's pretty tame, but really fun. Yeah. Actually, uh, when you said about Al, like it kept your attention. I had issues when we were writing things down. Like, I, I didn't want to take the time to write down notes about this movie because I didn't want to miss the movie. Same. It's a lot of fun. And like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think everyone now has a big problem of like looking at their phone while watching a movie. And I didn't really feel myself tempted to be doing that. I wanted to watch what was going on. I was having a really fun time just escaping into the world of you know, in the 1930s, Egypt with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise and their sidekicks and everybody having fun. Like the side characters are fun. The the villain is creepy enough to be threatening without ever getting into a point where it's like a horror movie. And it's just a really fun movie. Well, I don't feel like I could add much more to that. You, you wrapped it up pretty concisely there. Yeah, pretty great. <laughs> well, I, I think that's going to do it for our first episode of Burnt Popcorn. Yay! 
Yay! Did you have fun? I had a lot of fun. It, it's nice to get behind the mic again and chit chat with my favorite adult. That's me. Yeah. I, I figured what we would do because we're gonna what we're gonna do is as part of this the show is we take turns mm-hmm. with picking the movies. Yes. And this was your pick. Yes. And I think it'd be more fun if we don't tell the other person what the next pick will be until we're recording the episode so that we can get a genuine reaction of what the other movie is going to do Ooh, to the other person. I like it. I like so it a lot. I haven't told you what, what I'm picking. I'm picking a movie because I don't want this to just be like every episode is like, yeah, this movie holds up. This movie is great. I, I loved every minute of it. So I picked a movie that I remember fondly with the express purpose of thinking, this is a movie that will have aged poorly. I feel like if I go back and watch this movie, my opinion of it will have changed. Oh, boy. So next week, we will be talking about Top Gun. Oh, topical too, because there's a new one coming there out at some point. There is a new point. one coming. I, I didn't pick that because we had the list. Like we made yeah. a list of movies, and Top Gun was was on my list. I have an ulterior motive for for Top Gun as well. Is the volleyball I, scene? <laughs> no, I bought Top Gun when Roger's video went out of si- oh out of God, business. That was like that was 10 in, like, years ago. That was like yeah, that was like. 2009 that was before we were dating and yet we still have a sealed copy (laughs) of top gun on the shelf so my ulterior motive is to finally crack that top gun i'm both excited to watch it because i watched that kid a kid the last time i watched that movie i was a child like there's my parents have it on vhs and i watched it as a child and i remember the song uh, Danger Zone no. or the Top Gun Anthem? No. Take My Breath oh, Away. Oh, Take My Breath Away. There's a lot of songs in this. The soundtrack is We own the soundtrack <laughs> to this movie on vinyl. I know. Because it has such good music in it. And I remember them being in the planes. And I feel like we're like, this could all be in the episode. I know. No, I know. And I'm just like, wow. There is a part of me, I won't lie. That is kind of like, but I also really do want to watch it again because you're right. I'm part of me is like, I bet this doesn't hold up, but I would be pleasantly surprised if I really enjoy it. Yeah. So I'm down. Like I, we said we're going to go back and forth and you're going to get subjected to some stellar teen movies. I can't wait. Your taste and my taste are very different, but We'll see what we'll see what comes out of it. There's some good movies on your list that because we we made a small list of like ten movies each, yep. just to, as like a proof of concept. Can we like figure this out? There's some movies I like on that list. There's some movies on that list that I'm like ah, again. <laughs> I'm sure you can guess, but <laughs> that's gonna do it for this week's episode. We hope you'll join us on our next episode, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye.